the whole point of the association is you're not conscious of what's going on and so it's like my ego is making me not conscious of being not conscious you know and that's and and when i get when i actually understand that that's an extremely terrifying thing because it's like what else is my ego not making me conscious about you know welcome to another episode of what it's like to be you i'm josh levine your host Today, my guest is Xander. Xander is a software engineer who lives in the United States. He works at a gaming company. And he is a social self-prez 9wing1953 trifix. Xander is so brilliant. And he made a name for himself in the Enneagram community a couple years ago with his original insight regarding attachment to disconnect, which was his term for trying to make sense of what's going on with attachment types, types three, nine, and six where what he identified was that it's not that they're actually securely attaching. What they're doing is creating the conditions in which they're constantly reaching to be attached, but not actually attaching. He talks about it a little bit towards the end of the interview, but this interview is really more about the man, Xander. And if you want to learn more about attachment to disconnect, then I recommend you check out the Big Hormone Enneagram episode where he is a guest on it, talking about it with Courtney also. So let's talk about this interview. This conversation was amazing. We talk about what it's like for Xander to be a nine and why he's a nine and not a five, like he mistyped for a couple years, for many years. So we talk about what it's like to be a nine with a five fix, and we talk a little bit about six fix versus five fix, especially contrasting my six fix versus his five fix. And we have a really good couple of meta conversational moments where we actually explore the dynamic in real time. It's pretty interesting. One other thing is that Xander is and has been on his own journey of inner work and personal growth for a long time. And he has worked with modalities like internal family systems and plant medicine. And man, towards the end of the interview, the story he gives about what he experienced on one plant medicine journey is absolutely beautiful and remarkable and really worth listening to. And so. I just really respect Xander. I think he's super intelligent and very deep and really looking forward to you learning from my friend Xander. So without further ado, here he is. Welcome everyone to another interview. I am here with my friend Xander. And let me just set this up. So your full typing is social self-prez, nine-wing one, nine-five-three, trifix. And yep. so first of all, hello and welcome. And, um, I'd love to start where I start with everyone, which is, can you talk about your Enneagram origin story? Yeah, I was um, being trained to lead a team of interns in this art company um, in Morocco. Like we were there and we were just, our goal was just to connect artists, local artists and international artists with schools. So they would come over and teach classes and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, I was leading this team. And so I was, um, part of the process of being taught to lead was <laughs> the Enneagram. <laughs> it's like, oh, there's yeah. this tool that you can use to like get to know your team better and get your teammates to know each other better. And so that's when I first learned about it. I was like, okay, cool. This is a cool tool. And then how long ago was that? Whole, that was, oh gosh. 2012 okay so 11 years ago yeah um 
so yeah, after like, that whole experience, I was like, okay, this is pretty interesting. So then I started like looking it up online and like doing my own research and like it's like, oh, okay, so there's like this whole community. There's like um, a more occult and mystical background to this system. It's not just a team building thing or whatever. Um, and that's when I was like, okay, this is actually pretty interesting. Um, and just, you know, started reading books and stuff like that about it. So yeah, uh, started reading on online forums and you know getting through that whole like online typing thing with like you know myers-briggs cognitive function socionic you know all the, the whole the whole gamut um mm-hmm. i was included in all that too so and enneagram was was one of them Got it. yeah i guess that was like 11 years ago yeah okay so we have a, a lot of interesting things on the menu here for this conversation we we talked about so first of all, you gained some notoriety in the Enneagram or Facebook group with your very interesting insight about attachment to disconnect, which I'd love to unpack in a little bit. Um, yeah. And then you were on some of the BHE podcasts talking about that and uh, some of that also in conjunction with Courtney, who's also object relations queen. And you are also an immigrant and we were going to potentially get into that from an attachment point of view. And yeah. um I feel like let's start there. I would love to just hear your kind of life story as a nine to the extent like the headlines of it or whatever feels interesting, juicy for you from the point of view of being a nine. Yeah. Well, I mean, just, just we can talk about the immigrant experience, I guess, and then see what attachment threads or nine threads we can get from that. It's probably sure. a better way to go. Um, okay. So yeah, I grew up in Singapore. So I was born in the Philippines, and when I was like one, my parents migrated to Singapore because uh, my dad got a job there, and it was just like better opportunities because Singapore is a you know better to do country than uh, the Philippines was and is. Um, and so it was interesting that I grew up as an immigrant, and my parents also were immigrants. Um, and I mean, it's, you know, it's a common experience for immigrants, but I was like an immigrant along with my parents. So, um, I guess in terms of attachment, like whenever I had to like, you know, learn how to do anything, um, like they were also learning how to do stuff at the same time, kind of. Right. Um, and so I had to learn how to do a lot of things by myself. I had to like learn how to be my own person <laughs> in Singapore. Um, be, I had to learn how to be a, a foreign person in Singapore um, by myself. Um, because I mean, there weren't, at that time, there weren't a lot of Filipinos there either. So like we didn't have any community um, and my parents were figuring out how to survive and live in another country while like raising a kid, so. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. And also just your phrasing of that was interesting from the five fix point of view to like having to figure it all out by yourself. Um, so you're basically were an immigrant twice. You moved from the Philippines to Singapore, yeah. grew up in Singapore until you were 16. And then mm-hmm. from there you moved to America mm-hmm. and yeah. were an immigrant again. And so had to re 
adapt yourself to a new culture? Is that a fair way to put yeah. it? Yeah. 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 And I mean, and this is something that I've been working with consciously for the past like year or so. Like that's my default state <laughs> is an immigrant is like uh -huh. adaptation. Right. It's yeah. like everywhere I go, I always have to adapt. Like, because like that's from day one of my life. That's just been what I've had to do to survive <laughs> in the world. So mm -hmm. like, yeah, I can't not, I can't not do it. Um, and I feel like I've never been in a place, I've never lived in a place where people are the same as me, you know, and that's like my perspective, right? Whether or not it's true, whether or not it's reality, like that's a whole other conversation. But like my perspective is that I've never ever lived in a place where like people are the same as me. Um, in Singapore, like there were no other Filipinos in the US, like I, I'm living in a place now where there's like no really other Asian Americans. I don't have, I don't have many Asian slash Asian American friends. Mm. You live in, <laughs> so um, Oregon, right? Eugene, Oregon. I yeah. live in Oregon, Eugene, Oregon. Um, mm. And I feel like part of that is me like continuing that pattern. <laughs> like, like I could move to a city, a more, more metropolitan area that has, you know, more of that community because I've been realizing that some of this stuff, some of my trauma from being an immigrant or has to be worked out in community. Like part of it is like realizing that I can be a part of something, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but just like innately, because this is the pattern that I've always grown up with. I've always, it's the only thing I've ever known. Like I just, my ego just naturally pushes against it or it's not even pushes against it. It's just like, it just it doesn't even register that that's that's a thing that I should be seeking or should be should be trying to work towards, you know. Community or belonging. Community and belonging. Yep, yep. And and you know, um, at one level, right? Race is just is, is just one level, right? Mm -hmm. um, because there's many other levels of belonging, um, but for me personally, I feel like it's an important lesson that i need to learn to work through some of the woundings that i've had in that realm because it is off that level so yeah <laughs> you know yeah you know it's interesting as we framed up this conversation from the point of view of you being an immigrant um it strikes me that the the metaphor or the archetype of immigrants uh is really relevant to attachment just at like a basic um, metaphor level in the sense that you are adapting to a culture uh, and there's some there's some journey of discovering who you are in relation to your surrounding um, and a sense of kind of like coming out as yourself in a certain sense yeah, yeah. Um, and it is interesting that you are actually an immigrant um, in the sort of legal <laughs> right. sense and geographic sense. Um, right. But it's just a, that's a kind of interesting metaphor to draw in general for attachment. Um, yeah. So I have, so period, paragraph two is, I would love to know when you started learning the Enneagram, what is it about it that captured you and what have you, what, what, what did it throw into relief or what did it clarify about yourself 
for you? And I know it's been 11 years of the of a journey of working with it, learning about it. Um, but like, what was the initial hook, and where are you at with it now? Yeah, I mean, the initial hook, um, I was just a system where I could understand people, um, and like it articulated patterns um, into these concrete. Not measurable, but like observable things um, that I could see and like help uh, help me understand basically what's going on in the world, <laughs> what's going on with myself. Like, you know, give some words like what's going on with myself and other people in relation to other people, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, and I, I typed as a five for a really long time. Okay. Um, yeah. And where I am with it right now, I think I mentioned it to you earlier is. Um, for me personally, is learning how to talk about the Enneagram without talking about the Enneagram or without explicitly talking about the Enneagram. And that's just like in daily life of like, okay, there are these, there's this particular language, there's this particular niche language um, that is prevalent in like only Enneagram communities. And, you know, the people that I interact with on a day-to-day -day basis are not, are not in these communities. Um, and it's learning how to integrate in like, this kind of thinking process and like patterning um, with the people around me without like using jargon or um, specialized language um, and, uh, and it in a way that still like gets deep and gets and cuts to patterns and traumas, you know? So that's where I'm at with it now. Yeah. What's your, what's your motivation t for wanting to talk about the Enneagram without actually talking about the Enneagram? Uh, it's just getting to know people, getting to know people um, on a day-to-day -day basis and like getting to <laughs> like articulating their pain. Um, and because that for me makes more interesting conversation because I mean, I don't know, I could be with a coworker at lunch and just like talking about stuff and then, you know, we slowly get to some interesting topic and like the Enneagram. I was like, oh, so that's in my brain. I'm like, oh, so that's that could be like this kind of pattern or six pattern or you know whatever all, all all that language. But then what what how I have to translate it is like, oh, it is it because of X Y Z and then can go somewhere really interesting, you know, with that conversation. So yeah, where I'm coming from with that question was. It strikes me as a kind of attachment pattern itself, in a sense, to to be trying to draw a bridge between your inner world and someone else's inner world. And sure. in the sense of like, you know, not expecting that someone else is gonna be interested in or in in developing the vocabulary and learning the framework of the Enneagram kind of Getting, getting all the way into like this mental model that you know and instead taking this mental model that you know and kind of um making it uh digestible in other language to a person that you'd like to connect with i mean i don't know if it's like sharing my inner world with their inner world um like i am not in any evangelist <laughs> like i i don't care if other people get into the enneagram or not that's not, yeah, not at all. Um, because it's a system and if people get into it, great. 
um, it's been useful for me. Um, so it's not really something that I care to share with the world. Yeah. Um, it's just a method for me to, to get somewhere interesting with people. Yeah. There's something about that that just is like really striking to me. Like, yeah, what's going on with that? Like, so it's, here's why that's interesting to me. Because you clearly think about the Enneagram a lot. And you not just think about the Enneagram a lot, but have read a lot of books and have come up with your own original insights that um, have sparked the imaginations of uh, a community that is like pretty diehard Enneagram. And to take the position that you're not an any evangelist, sincerely, as I experience you doing right now, <laughs> is pretty amazing to me because it's kind of like sort of... I don't know how to put it. Feels almost like, I mean, there's your double withdrawn stem right there, like nine five, or I don't, I don't even know how to categorize that in the frame of the Enneagram. It feels like there's a some interesting paradox happening in you between the attachment desire for belonging and the five rejection, or like kind of hanging out in your own um, castled inner mental world with your frameworks that you don't really care if anybody else is on the same page, but it's how you make sense of the world. Right. Exactly. Oh, well. Well. So you said attachment, desire for belonging. That's 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 is that partially part of your new um, object relations thing? Actually, no, I hadn't even formulated it like that. I just kind of it okay. just came out of my mouth. Is it, do you not experience okay. it that way? No, because I'm, I've seen that language before in some other literature, where it's like, um, yeah, frustration, rejection, and um, um, belonging. Or like, right. yeah, yeah, one yeah. object, the second object, and then the, and then Gore's the third formulation. Object. Yeah, yeah, right, huh. right. Um, and I saw that. I was like, no, not at all. <laughs> That's what it's about. Belonging at all. Maybe like, like I can huh? see that being like perhaps a social uh, thing. In, in 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 that sense, you know, I I, I could I could see that makes sense. But like, to me, it's about like existing in the world. I I I call like the existential object is what attachment types are like or not attachment types withdrawn types are like the four five nine right um mm -hmm. um experience with it's something about existence the four you know only exists in and of themselves because there's there was nothing in the world that like or they were frustrated with the modes of existence that were present in the world right like um mm -hmm. For five, like anything in the world, like they reject all forms of existence in the world, and then for the nine, they're trying to seek some kind of existence in the world. So I mean, that's just that's just my own kind of little formulation of like, because yeah, yeah I, I I don't relate to the nurturing, protective, both kind of paradigm that like doesn't really make sense to me in terms of like in relation to like all the other types of like, oh these types deal with both. No, like that doesn't make sense to me in terms of a, a model. Um, there has to be like a third thing that could could or could could or could not be related to nurturing or protective. Um, could or could not be related to mother figure, father figure. Same with uh, nurturing, and protective, right? But there is this like existential thing that me personally, I relate to being an immigrant, right? Like, um, maybe maybe that's like social existence, right? Okay, you're dropped here on this 
in this body on this earth and um the way people perceive you and the way that you are told that you are is that you don't really exist in the same way that other people do and that hits different for me than belonging right maybe belonging could be a part of it right i'm not like totally dismissing belonging as being part of it but like for me it's like a matter of existence like you exist at, the, at a different level than other people There is a lot to unpack in the word existence. Yeah. There. <laughs> there. <laughs> <laughs> but actually what I want to draw out of what you just said is I feel like when I speak to you, there, I, I feel your five fix on display really strongly in the sense of you really are not absorbing the orientations of other people. You're sort of like it. It's like, even the way that I just used the word belonging, it kind of landed at your doorstep and you chose not to let it in, you know, or, <laughs> you know, and it's like, actually, here's how I see it. Mm. Um, and I find that interesting for, you know, as a, we're, our trifix is close. I have a six fix, you have a mm -hmm. five fix. And my, my reflex is to kind of accidentally let in someone else's orientation and then discover later that, oh, actually, I think this other thing. Hmm. Um, but that was a really interesting demonstration that you just gave of the opposite pattern for you of it kind of, you kind of, right, yeah. you might let it in eventually, but you gotta, you gotta like justify it to yourself first. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's like, you know, gotten me in trouble before. <laughs> okay. In terms of just like conversing with people in general. And also, you know, I, I had like a, short career in academia for a while where like i was pursuing a phd and like writing dissertations and like not dissertation but working on a dissertation and like yeah there was a lot of friction between me and my advisor because of this exact problem of like hmm. i i <laughs> i i thought that academia in academia i could be in an ivory tower and just like pursue my own interests and ideas and like really cool stuff but like no that's not the case <laughs> academia is like a conversation between scholars and in order to participate in this in academia you have to understand and know and converse with other scholars and like take in their perspectives not not taken but just like you know convert engage converse and like and i i always like was naturally pushing back against that um like i in a way like i don't care <laughs> i like don't care like about what's going on like i care about this like <laughs> yeah. let me do this and but you know that's the reality of things that, you know that's not academia you know uh and you know it's two different worlds um and in this way like i i don't see a lot of fives in academia <laughs> it's, fives i see are a lot like, more sixes yeah, it's a six world yeah, in my view yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. fives are like in some some like cave somewhere like you know i don't know doing their own thing which is interesting from a standpoint of like say like uh uh zuzek right i mean he's an academic but the way he does it is very very interesting so he's an interesting case study for me um who's that but yeah uh, uh slavoj zuzek is a philosopher that that um i'm pretty sure is a is a five he's like um, okay um anyway um yeah. So yeah, I, I, I know what you're saying. And yeah. Um, yeah. 
<laughs> so this is okay. This is really interesting because from the point of view of Trifix, um, or the way that I'm conceiving of Trifix and part of my theory here is that what five is doing is rejecting on the level of orientation. And it's it's everything that I just explained before you said everything you said. Okay. But you have you have nine and three that are attaching on the level of nine attaching on since the level of sensation, like wanting to be held by the environment, and then three attaching on the level of other people's gaze upon them or their regard of them. And so if you might be interesting to tinker with that, because it's like maybe the question really I'm leaning to is why are you a nine and not a five? <laughs> yeah. Um because I think, you know, at a and yeah, I've talked with a lot of people about this, right? Um, because I typed as a five for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is how this is where my kind of understanding of Enneagram I has to come in. Um my theory. Mm-hmm. Um in that So attachment types or nines, right? For nines, the identification is with the moving center, right? Um, but the other two centers, the feeling and thinking centers, are entangled. And there's like a similar pattern, right, with three and six. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that case, inside type structure of a nine like this type structure there are two bodies that are kind of orbiting each other like the identification with the uh, moving center and then the entangled other two centers and because identification is with the one center these two things kind of have an equal weight um and so they're orbiting each other and so like with um attachment types there you know we've heard like there's always like these two modes of functioning you know with threes i you know, you either feel or function. You can't do both at the same time. Like you feel or function. Yeah. With yeah. sixes, you uh, like you think or like you live. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, with nines, I mean, I don't have like pretty words for for nine, but like you like are in the world or you are like you are in the world or you I or you are in yourself. You know. You exist or you are swirling or something. I exist in the world or I I exist inside myself. Okay. Like, yeah. So, so, okay. So then, so that's nine with five, right? It's the same, um, pattern as nine in terms of the thinking center is entangled with the feeling center. And then, um, but the identification is with the thinking center. So the, the moving center is like completely ignored, completely ignored. Um, and what I've found with fives is that, um yeah i I don't have that ignoring the moving center aspect to myself like i i still i i'm like still seeking some kind of existence in the world whereas i don't think from the type structure perspective i don't think fives do that yeah and so in terms of me determining why i'm a nine and not a five is that like that I do feel these two different modes in me of like existing in the world and existing myself. Whereas five is just, they're just existing in themselves. They like we're rejecting the world. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's how I'm kind of seeing me as a nine in terms of my experience. Like I want 
I still do am relating with people. I still am talking with people. I am, um, yeah, expressing yeah, so interest in sensation in terms of like using your language. Yeah. So let's yeah. let <laughs> let's let's lean into my six picks and go into your mental world for a second. So can we talk about you, your how are you? using the word existence <laughs> and I'm just going to be careful to restrain ourselves in some kind of way because yeah, that could go everywhere yeah. but like in terms of being a nine like um are do you struggle with the sense of your existence is that a thing that you um feel sort of like toggled on or off in the way that you're describing and what is it like when it's on what's it like when it's off yeah yeah i think when I'm like in a room of people, I am like observing. And when I'm observing what's going on, like nothing, like nothing's going on inside me. So that's, that's like, um, you know, be like that to me, that, that, that is the mode of like the moving center on the flip side. Like when, it, then when I'm asked a question or something, Sometimes I have to like, oh, I have to go go inside and like, think, oh, what what's going on? Um, mm -hmm. And that's like the other side of the the nine equation. So the other mode, um, where I don't feel like I'm even in the room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the way that I'm tracking that, and this is something, this is my language and how I relate to it, but like your psychological location, it's, there's a very clear distinction between when it's outside you. Like for example, if you're listening to me talk and your attention is over here and when it's inside you, when you're searching for what meaning is inside you to articulate. Yeah. Or something like yeah. that. Yeah. 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 Well, that tracks and do you have a sense of, so do you have siblings? Yep. I have a younger brother, uh, six years younger. So uh, kind of a large age gap as well. Yeah. I guess I asked that question because I'm curious about how you show up in relationships, whether it's friendships or romantic partnerships or whatever. And the experience of being fully there in the relationship like existing in the relationship versus not existing and how you've experienced that maybe is there a journey that of, that you've gone over in your life around that topic yeah i mean dissociation right is the, the word that comes up in yeah. terms of relationships or just in things in general uh, when things get difficult you know i just check out and that's really something i've been like really consciously working with the past year, a couple of years, uh, particularly with um, psychedelics and really mm -hmm. having <laughs> that altered state able to become conscious of dissociation. Because the whole point of dissociation is you're not conscious of what's going on. And so it's yes. like <laughs> my ego is making me not conscious of being not conscious, you know, and that's and, and when I get when I actually understand that, that's an extremely terrifying thing because it's like, what else is my ego not making me conscious about, you know? Um, and 
and where that's gotten me now is that like i i can be in conversations with, pe- with people and i can notice when things start to get muffled like literally physically muffled like voices start to get muffled like sure. i can't understand what someone is saying anymore <laughs> yeah actually that's um, so funny i have a, str- a ni- secondary nine fix and i relate to that i was just thinking about that last night actually <laughs> yeah go ahead yeah 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 and yeah. so i was like oh like i'm dissociating right now <laughs> and then like and then you know on a good day like being able to like trace back okay where did this start at what point did this start what emotional response was triggered when when this started me into dissociation and then being able to remain in that emotional state instead of being triggered into dissociation and that 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 emotional state is many times anxiety <laughs> like i don't let myself be anxious like my my body's just like nope oh anxiety nope just dissociate immediately and for me right now it's learning to remain in anxiety <laughs> learning to remain in the what is that the sympathetic realm instead of just redlining into the whatever um the dorsal realm or whatever is there, are you yeah, referring to whatever, a, like yeah. where you're like playing dead you know <laughs> vagal theory yeah polyvagal theory or something like that yeah right right yeah. right yeah so like it's learning how to like remain in like my stressed state instead of being instead of shutting down and that's and that for me is like engaging in relationship like like and you know part of it part, sometimes it comes out in anger sometimes it's like letting myself be stressed and overwhelmed like oh wow mm-hmm. i'm like i'm really overwhelmed right now i don't know what to do and like saying that to another person <laughs> and like you know that, that that's like huge for me <laughs> yeah um yeah 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 what's what kind of things are overwhelming <sighs> Social situations are very overwhelming for me. Um, like what? What about them? Or you go ahead. Feeling, yeah, yeah, just feeling like um, feeling like I can't enter, participate in something. And then I'm kind of just standing in like, it's like, I, I, I want to either be participating or like not there. Right. And it's worst when the worst part is when I'm in the middle, like <laughs> I'm there, but I'm not participating. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, and the pattern is that, okay, I'm in this place and, and I, and I and when I dissociate, I'm like, okay, like whatever, like I'm just standing here, and this is just a pattern for me, right? From my childhood of like, you know, not like being told I exist at a different level than other people. So like, you know, this is natural. This is what it's supposed to be, and that you know, that's like a dissociative state at that point. Instead of like sitting in that anxiety of like, oh wait, what am I supposed to be doing? What are other people doing? Um, let me. Let me ask for help. <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe, yeah. That's the huge thing. That's part. Of it. Let me, let me, let me ask for help, or let me express, express um, myself, even though it's uncomfortable for other people. <laughs> um, uh-huh. 
um, because that's going to be more anxiety inducing, right? Um, so instead, I just like check out <laughs> because that's more yeah. that's more natural, more comfortable. You know, this is a yeah. this is a pretty leading question, but I'm just going to ask it anyway. Like, okay. um, how do you experience taking on the discomfort of other people, or do you experience that, or like the like the preemptive the the not wanting to make other people uncomfortable is like a classic nine fix thing, right? And yeah. It's, um, especially core nine. So like, yeah, what is that for you? Well, I mean, in terms of the, the inner work that I've done, I, I've been like traced back to my relationship with my mom and how, I mean, um, yeah, just be, you know, recognizing that I, I was actually like the emotional caretaker of the household okay um because uh, you know my parents were immigrants trying to figure out how to help us survive in this new country right they had stuff going on so like the 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 best way like like the best thing i could do since i was a baby was like be okay (laughs) you know like not need not need a lot right because they had so much shit going on like the best the best thing the best thing I could do or the or maybe a better way to put it is the most positive feedback I received was from being okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Um and so and so um and and I and looking back I do experience this more with my mom than my dad. My yeah. So always having to be okay with my mom and like having to kind of take on her emotional burden. Um so that mm-hmm. we could survive as a family. Yeah. When you say take, yeah, that, that phrase mm-hmm. right there, take on her emotional burden. I mean, that's just, it's a really classic attachment statement. Right. Taking right. it. You know, right. And can you talk about like when you take on, whether it's your mom or a relationship partner or someone else's emotional burden, mm-hmm. like what's actually happening there? Or like, how are you, do you, are you holding their emotional state in you or allowing like being the padded room for them to just have it? Or are you absorbing it into yourself? And then at some point you realize, Oh, I've taken on this thing and it's not actually mine. Right. Right. It's like, kind of like, you know, they're carrying some heavy luggage and I'm like helping them carry it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And right. And we as human beings only have so much emotional capacity right or um mm-hmm. emotional yeah. capacity and availability um and then me not realizing that i have a limit to my emotional capacity and because i'm because it's because being open to carry things is just my natural state and so then when i reach my capacity and i break down i either dissociate or I explode yeah um, yeah and kind of these two patterns have been like the protectors that I've been working with, just to use IFS language. Uh, I don't know uh-huh. if you're familiar with. Yeah, yeah, IFS yeah. is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just um, those two patterns are like the protectors that have been uh, that I've been working with to like um, that I've been trying to protect this child self of mine that's that's um, wanting to be themselves in the world. You know, yeah. So 
that's that's good yeah and for people who don't know what ifs is it's referring to internal family systems which is a whole system of therapy where you identify the parts of you that are um often kind of entangled or at war with each other and trying to protect other parts of you and usually there's an inner child at the bottom of the whole thing and it's a really brilliant and amazing framework to work with yourself really amazing yeah so is that something 100%. that you work with like is that a uh, a consistent practice for you or do you work with someone on that yeah 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 it's a very consistent practice for me especially when delving into psychedelics it's a framework oh, that's good that, yeah 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 that's a framework that like puts um puts structure <laughs> to the often nebulous psychedelic experience um that makes it more um uh, helpful uh mm -hmm. Yeah, in yeah. addition to just being free, like, you know, mind freeing and, and, and yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about psychedelics. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. What's, um, what's, what have they done for you? And what's, yeah. Yeah. Well, there. the, I mean, I think the very immediate thing they do for me is just like, I feel like my mind is very rigid. <laughs> And, or at least, you know, I I found that out. <laughs> My mind is very rigid um, in, in terms of me holding on to my mind, but also, you know, for everyone, just the patterns that are um, used in the neural pathways and stuff like that, you know, you, you use them over and over again, and they just get really, um, yeah, you know what I mean? Um, and so psychedelics have helped me, you know, learn to let go, but then also have kind of, help me reset those neural pathways so that I can form new, new neural pathways, you know, or I can let go of uh, old neural pathways that are in there, uh, there aren't helpful anymore, you know? Um, so yeah, immediately that's kind of what's, uh, it's coming to mind. Yeah. I want to zoom out for one second and just like, so what I'm tracking here is that it does, I do actually experience you as a core nine. And like just your energetic quality has a, has that settling nine, like we've landed here together kind of thing. And I also experience your, like this interesting paradox you hold inside, which is the, um, nine absorptive taking on other people's emotional burden kind of thing at odds with your intellectual independence and uh, that sounds like a really interesting thing to be working with internally. And is that a, th let's see, uh, I guess. It doesn't what I was... feel paradoxical to me is, is if that's what you're getting at, you know? Yeah. So, well, like why, like yeah. Why is that a paradox to you? <laughs> <laughs> because, yeah, let me see. Um, because it's it's being on it's being absorptive on one level of existence and uh profoundly non-absorptive on another in relation to potentially the same person like for mm. example your mom yeah yeah okay yeah yeah well but that not that interesting that we use absorptive as the basis 
of understanding relation, like absorptive or non-absorptive, like versus, I mean, you used this word earlier, but independent versus interdependent mm -hmm. is another basis um, of this comparison. And I, I guess I, I view it more in that way <laughs> because that feels, that, you know, I guess absorptive and non-absorptive, non we're putting them at odds, right? Versus independent and interdependent. All right, they don't feel like at odds to me because like in order to be in a relationship to anything, there has to be a self that that thing is in relation with. So like I have to be independent in order to be interdependent because because if I'm not independent, then that that thing or person or whatever can't see me, can't depend on me. <laughs> so, so that's why I guess it's not paradoxical to me. It's so interesting to hear you just like the exchange of our conversation. If you compare <laughs> this with um, triple attachment nines that I've spoken to, it's just like it's pretty amazing. It's like the the quality of like our conversation is it's like something arises in me constellates into an idea and it's like here's this here's this little like figurine that i've con that i've created in, as a as a mental construct and i hand it over to you and you're like actually no i don't see it that way i see it this other way <laughs> you know and you kind of reshape it into this other thing and then you hand it to me whereas the in triple attachment nine conversations it's much more like i don't like i almost want to use the word conversation it's almost like um it's not as much of a tennis match it's more of like a participatory collaborative like um kind of ice i'm 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 we're in each other's worlds kind of thing and i think what's mm -hmm. what's um what's really just at the end of that whole paragraph amazing to me and striking is the difference between a six fix and a, and a five fix because um, of the rejection versus attachment in the mental center that uh, we were describing before, but um, how, how how does that feel yeah. for you emotionally when when I do that? Um, because you know I think I've gotten some feedback from people that it's not great. <laughs> <laughs> um, kind of exciting, actually. I mean, for me, it's okay. <laughs> well. Let's see. For me, as a person running this interview, it's like I experience a sense of like. <laughs> this, and also being a three leading with image it's like i'm saying something and then you're disagreeing with it and on some subtle level it's like there's the initial like ah like did he did he you know did he not like that um mm. but you know take taking a breath it's like just entering the entering the the back and forth and there's a sense of what um maybe a way to put it is it feels like there's a there's a certain emotional distance that i have to travel to accept mm. the exchange um and then participate in the co-discovery that we're doing as this mm. conversation goes on um because it's like a it's like for me i experience it almost like a dis an attachment miss <laughs> or attachment disappointment Okay. Huh. 
Not that I'm having yeah, an I mean, off-the-rails emotional reaction to it, but right. it's just tracking what's going on. But what hit for me is that you feel like um, you have to travel the emotional distance to meet me where I'm at. And I mean, in some cases, like, that's okay. But like, <laughs> in most conversations, you know, I, I, I don't want the other person to feel that way, you know? I mm-hmm. I want it to feel like we're on equal ground and like because to me like it's it does feel like a tennis match you know like yeah <laughs> so like the ball that I'm hitting to you you're just hitting back to me so we're we're the same distance you know we're just we're just hitting things back and forth um and it's fun um I'm glad you're having fun but but yeah I I but yeah that that kind of tracks with what other people have told me too <laughs> yeah do you, do you experience um. For you as a because like you're all you know you're a double attachment type with a you have one rejection fix two attachment fixes and do you experience also or in any way in this conversation traveling an emotional distance to meet me or do you feel more or less self-contained uh no i don't have i don't feel that way um i mean other than just the interview format i think it's just you know mm-hmm. i don't do this every day so it's that's that's the that's the work I guess. But other than that, I mean, not really. <laughs> I feel like I'm, I'm here and I'm enjoying myself. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just taking a breath and seeing where to go from here. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's fine. Yeah. You know, I think what this is challenging for me is a sense of squaring like how is a five fix playing in your type structure versus a six fix and um let me actually i'll just very very briefly share like the contours of my theory with you and then see how it lands okay so here we'll start a new tennis match so (laughs) um (laughs) so my sense is is that like our object relational theory the traditional object relations theory as it's posed in the Enneagram is attachment, frustration, and rejection in relation to something abstract called the nurturing function or the protective function or both. Mm-hmm. And, or Belinda Gore has it as nurturing, protecting, and belonging. Or I've also heard protecting slash guiding in a hyphenated way. Right. And then I also heard someone do protecting, nurturing, and guiding as a, as a three part. So it's kind of this a little bit swirl of like, where are we and what is the object? Um, and we're like, we're pretty clear about the affect. I think the object needs clarity and where my theory, um, comes in is basically saying that I think the body center is oriented to the, what I'm calling the field of sensation or holding. So like the way that, yeah, the way that the way that the world is holding me kind of like when you're a one week old infant, you don't actually have senses that are focused enough to be able to distinguish objects in your environment or hold mental maps in your head. You're just basically a body awash and a new sensory surround and you are wanting to be held like the womb. So I think all three body types have a nostalgia for the womb state and oh, are basically the object relational affect is in relate is in relation to the way that the world is holding me. So eight is rejecting it. One is frustrated with it. Nine is attached to it. And mm-hmm. then, and then in the heart sensor, you have the same thing with respect to the field of what I'm calling gaze which is how other people are regarding me, other people's attunement to me, whether or not they're seeing me and also how I see myself. And so a whole thing around identity. So threes are attached to gaze, fours are frustrated with gaze and twos are rejecting gaze. And then in the mental center, the same formulation 
in relation to the field of orientation. So like um, six is attached to exogenous orientation, seven is frustrated with it, and five is rejecting it. So in my head, I've been holding this theory for our conversation and really tracking in a certain sense, how central to you the rejection of orientation is and the entire exploration that we just had of our, what our conversational dynamic is, is kind of in that space, you know? Um, but I'm also curious about the other two parts of you that are attached to what I would be considering the field of gaze or sensation. So I know that was a sort of brand new theory on the spot, but how do you, yeah, well, that land? Well, can you say more about sensation and holding? Like, what does that mean? Like, how would you yeah. further explain it? Yeah. So the body center, I think of as a much more rich and textured thing than we have a way even to understand. We generally understand in Western culture. So holding is like, basically anything has a sensory impact on me. The couch, also like my presence on this call right now is having a sensory impact on you. Um, you could say that's vis-a-vis -vis the social instinct or just whatever. It's like, if someone were to walk into the room right now, that would have a sensory impact on you as well. And if someone were to say, for example, hey, I made a reservation for 8 p.m. tonight, like make sure you dress up or like be on time and you didn't consent to it, you didn't know that that was going to happen, that also would have a sensory impact on you. you know. And so the the other people's demands, other people's energies, other people's presence is forming a kind of sensory holding environment. And uh, the the eight is rejecting it in the sense of like, no, I'm not like, <laughs> let me put it this way. I'm trying to like be concise about this because it's an interview format, but it's not really concise. Um, I'll just give you the other, the rest of it. So my, my sense is that what object relations is, is how we construct a false self that is able to cope with misses in our environment. And a sensory miss is like a way that my sensory field is irritating me or overwhelming me or um, violating me in some way. Okay, so like when you're, when you're in the womb, you're just being rocked, you're being held, you're sort of one with mom and stuff, and then all of a sudden you're out of the womb and just even being laid down on a still bed is not the same experience of being rocked in the womb. And so there's a way that your sensory environment is, is irritating in a way that you've never experienced before. It's just a different sensory surround. And the rage of the body sensor is like, I didn't choose to be here. <laughs> um, yeah. I, and all of a sudden I'm now bombarded by a, sens a sensory experience that I have no control over. And the existential dilemma of the body sensor is how do I create boundaries to protect myself from irritating and overwhelming sensations? Eight feels violated by the sensory surround and so rejects it and creates its own holding environment. One feels constantly frustrated by the sensory surround, like that shelf is crooked or like that person is doing something and it's having an effect on me and I just can't numb myself to it. And so mm, yeah. I have to go fix it. And then the nine is um, attached in the kind of like hope that the world will hold me like the wounded, but unpleasant sensations of course get in. And so I numb myself as a way to, um, sort of stay open to the environment while, uh, not being overly affected by, um, irritating sensations. That's the, that's the, that's the body sensor yeah. of that theory. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm following. 
Yeah, that's interesting. Um, during one of my, um, I, I, I sometimes sit with ayahuasca. During one of my sits, one very memorable experience I had was um, I was in the room and I, I like my body just and I was sitting up and my body just did this like an opening like you're saying mm -hmm. and like and I and then my what I and then start to see like it was like different tv screens kind of showing up um and a couple multiplying like different tv screens each, each tv screen like showing like um an experience of, of, of something going on and you know, i could feel you know all these experiences like someone um yeah getting attacked or someone you know having a good time like, all, all these different things that were in the room um and then it kept multiplying and multiplying. And then it got too much. And then my body like did this. Uh -huh. um, kind of contracted mm -hmm. in. Right, contracted in and like yeah. protect. And then and then it did it and then after a while, I was like, and then it did this this again. And it repeated like, you know, in an infinite number of times. Just you know, it's how that feels in that space, like an infinite number mm -hmm. of times. And and I was like living this over and over again of like opening and closing and opening and closing and opening and closing and the closing felt so good like like closing felt so good and it felt so lonely mm. and so so i was like oh my god like is there no other state like is it just either open or close mm. and then someone um one of the facilitators like um came over and like started brushing me with um an owl feather like mm. like just brushing me in my face and like everywhere and like and then i could you know um they were kind of sharing this owl medicine with me just brushing mm. me brushing me and i just started melting I, I started just melting into the music and the feather and like i became an owl and um and then i started like doing that thing that owls do of like using their beaks to like, you know, get into their feathers, Preen whatever. Themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah, yeah. What, what is it called? Preen, preening. Preening. Yeah, okay. Great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's oh, yeah, preening. And then I started doing this motion. I started like mm. um, brushing myself. And I was like, oh, this is a new state to be in. Not this or this, but brushing, preening, like you're saying preening. So that I can be open to the world, but I can also preen myself and like shed, you know, things that are not me and I don't have to be closed off from the world, rejecting the world or frustrated with the world, right? I don't have to do that and be lonely, you know? Mm -hmm. And and so that's a long answer to, to your um, theory of like the holding space and like, an attachment to the to the sensation of holding space um mm -hmm. and like because you're saying it's like you know having the hope that 
the world will hold me. Um, I, yeah, I guess that's what being open is, right? Is having the hope that I can exist in the world. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, without being overwhelmed or irritated or. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I can yeah. exist in right relation to the world. Yeah. Um, and not just re- react and respond to that by, by doing this, you know, just preening. And so, yeah, I think that's that's on to something, sensation and holding. Yeah. I can, I can like, like pre- me preening is me holding myself, you know? Exactly. Me yeah. taking care of myself yeah. and me shedding things that aren't me, but 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 I'm not closing myself off. Yeah. Wow, that is amazing and yeah, really beautiful. I I'm it. Let's see. It's it really strikes me that you had only two options right prior to discovering this is like the closed lonely but safe position and the open uh participating in the world but um just all of your all of your raw whatever interior is exposed to the world and yeah overwhelming yeah so this idea of preening represents a certain way that you take a a res- responsibility over um, washing yourself as you move through the world of whatever impurities you've kind of absorbed or that stick onto you. And it's just in watching your gestures there, it's like the the process of that was, I mean, it feels almost like balletic or um, like I could see how it feels good. You know, I could just see how it was like on a yeah. sensory level, just yummy, like for you yeah, to just yep. do that, you know, <laughs> um, I just did it to myself. It feels really nice. Yeah. It's yeah. like that kind of, and so you could say in a certain sense, I mean, that is <laughs> psychedelics are amazing because, and you don't have to know the Enneagram to go on any of these Enneagramic journeys, but it's just amazing how like, that's a nine journey, you know, it's like discovering discovering your tease your word the way you exist in the world is this either open or closed state and then to discover an option where you can actually engage and participate and that is actually the virtue of the nine or, is, or sometimes it's called engagement mm-hmm. yeah 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 totally yeah so has that stayed with you and what's what's it like yeah, to live from totally. that place and what's i mean you know yeah it stayed with me i try to practice it you know but <laughs> Right, it's a it's a daily practice, and mm-hmm. and part of it is you know, I think the word responsibility is is, is great. Like taking responsibility for for doing that, for cleaning myself, for yeah. preening myself, um, because you know, I can go around the world clothes off like this and be safe, um, but but then I'm not affected by things, and I'm not living, <laughs> I'm not experiencing life in a way that is meaningful and, you know, um, yeah. And being open, open allows for like being affected, allows for experiencing the whole range of emotion from like terror and sadness and grief all the way to like joy and like, you know, wonder and the sublime, you know? Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but how it's kind of played out in practice is kind of, you know, developing strategies like I was talking about earlier of like noticing, trying to notice when I dissociate. Um, that's one, right? Yeah. And like uh-huh. tracing back to, oh, what are the particular triggers for that dissociation? And then being responsible for noticing when that trigger arises and then engaging with it. Okay, uh, either with the other other person or the environment or like with myself, like, okay, like, hold yourself, like, like you can, you know, you can allow yourself to be anxious and, and preen, <laughs> you know, um, or, or on the other spectrum, right, 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 that's like dissociation and the other spectrum of like exploding, um, you know, is a similar, similar strategy of like, noticing when that energy comes up and it feels really good <laughs> um and noticing when noticing the the lead up to the point of explosion and like what sets it off and like being okay like what you're feeling now is repressed energy um you can use that energy um but you don't have to let it out and and this is actually from Thich Han um he said like or so, someone someone asked him like oh like and this is very interesting i, I think the guy has a nine i mean <laughs> i think someone so asked too him, like, yeah uh-huh. yeah what do you do with all this anger like what do you do like i i just want to like, let it all out and like express myself and he's like 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 why do you feel the need to do that like why do you feel the need to let it all out um he's like you know you don't have to waste it like you can think of anger as like mud, like mud sometimes is like, and I'm paraphrasing here, right? Mud isn't like sticky and grimy and stuff like that, but like without mud, like lotus flowers can't grow. So like, you know, take care of your mud. <laughs> hmm. um, and that to me is like being responsible for preening like the mud in me and like, utilizing it to grow lotus flowers you know and sometimes it is maybe expressing it right but like it's not either or it's not either dissociating or like expressing it's not like either repressing or exploding right it's there's always a third option of being responsible for yourself to preen and you know to preen the mud to grow lotus flowers you know so yeah I don't want to take, I think this language is really wonderful and I don't want to take it into too literal a space from this poetic metaphoric space, but what, what is mud and what is the lotus flower and how do you like in your life? Give me like literal examples, I guess is what you're, what you're asking. Sure. If you have them. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the mud is like, I guess in that example, is like feelings of anger, right. And mm-hmm. rage and like turning it into energy um so that i turn into passion you know like expressing passion so that i can make something beautiful in the world um like feeling a boundary being violated and and expressing that it's violated is a form of passion instead of like um because because in that sense i am taking responsibility of taking care of myself um instead of instead of letting things stick to me yeah i don't know <laughs> i'm losing i'm losing my train of thought there yeah do you experience 
the lotus flower in your work or in your relationships or in quiet moments by yourself? Something else? Yeah, I guess when I'm creating something, right, be it at work or sometimes I do charcoal art, um, when I'm creating something, I feel like that's those are like the most explicit forms of lotus flowers because there's like a tangible manifestation of something that I've created from like this mud that I've been cultivating. Mm -hmm. uh, it, does, yeah. it does strike me that it might not actually be like this concrete like da 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 here's my present here's my lotus flower world it's kind yeah, of like no, it no. feels it feels like the way that you're using that term is um a kind of inner blossoming that is the um the 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 feeling of being willing to open as you as you engage in the process of continually preening yeah yeah i think that's right yeah 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 so more of like an internal blossoming um yeah it's so like turning turning that mud into beautiful energy mm -hmm. yeah yeah well i feel like that's a pretty lovely place to stop okay yeah yeah i don't know how, how long how long do these usually go or like i know because sometimes anywhere you... between an hour and like an hour and a half or so usually oh, okay okay yeah. um is there anything that we haven't touched on that would be that you want to no yeah. i mean i think that was that felt really good <laughs> i yeah. felt really energetic and and uh yeah how did it feel from from your from your point of view like um you know having done these a lot yeah really really good actually <laughs> um yeah i'm i'm struck by I love the I loved our meta conversational moment, and then bringing in the psychedelic thing is like pretty incredible. Um, <laughs> I just I'm a, a big psychedelic believer, and uh, have had yeah. a number of experiences myself that have been incredibly powerful as well. So I'm really glad that you brought it there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah. I want to ask I want to ask one other thing. Um, okay. About attachment to disconnect, just because. I don't know that everyone will have heard what that actually is. And so maybe just, yeah. can you explain what it is and what, what it was that made you think of it and how it's revealed stuff about you and um, kind of where you're at working with it yourself? Yeah. I don't remember particularly what, <clears throat> what uh, inspired that mm -hmm. or figured that, you know, cause it was some post on Facebook, I guess that I responded to, yeah. but, um, but basically, right. It's um, because the, core pattern of attachment is adaptation or I'm adapting to something. If I'm not adapting, um, then like, then my ego, that's ego death, right? Or like my ego doesn't know what to do. So like yeah. explodes. So, um, so in order to create or in order to keep that going, we need to create uh, circumstances, circumstances where we can adapt. So if we're familiar or comfortable, that's not adapting anymore. So we have to create circumstances to pull ourselves away so that the environment changes. Oh, now that I, I can adapt again. So it keeps that ad adaptation behavior going. 
Yeah. 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 And that's excellent. And it's partly what was so revelatory about the idea was that it was in a certain sense clear how frustration and rejection were um maybe you could say constantly creating the conditions in which their object relation was at play but kind of like attachment well if you're attaching attachment sort of prior to your revelation felt like the good object relation like that's what you should be wanting (laughs) wanting to do right it's like yeah great attach to people and then everyone's happy but that's not actually what attachment is referring to from an object relations point of view it's like attachment is the way that we not only attempt to create some form of connection but also participate in the creation of the condition conditions in which we're continually reaching for that connection yeah yeah attachment that that's a terrible word i hate that word (laughs) (laughs) yeah because Uh of the enneagram context (laughs) because it's like it's meaningless there's no meaning to it (laughs) you know yeah yeah and I, yeah. Courtney also says, I mean, that word had no juice for her when she originally heard it. Kind of, it's true for me yeah. too. I, I wonder if there's, do you have a better one? No. Um, I mean, like disconnect, right? But like, yeah. because in my comment, I was like, oh, frustration types are attached to frustration. They're attached to creating circumstances where they're frustrated. Yes. Right. Yes. Attached to create, uh, rejection types are attached to creating circumstances where they can reject or and where they continually feel rejected. Yes. Um, whereas attachment types, are attached to disconnect where they can well, maybe, maybe adaptation i don't know where, where they uh-huh, continually yeah. create circumstances to you know adapt so maybe a, maybe adaptation but that doesn't ring you know yeah <laughs> okay yeah well um are you still like percolating on enneagram stuff and you're i i imagine that you are in your yeah private yeah in the chamber <laughs> I'm I'm percolating. I'm percolating on it. I'm percolating on it, and um, I'm percolating on it more in the world these days in terms of like. So um, I guess we we didn't have time to get into this, or I don't know. Um, this past year, I've been getting into fitness <laughs> okay. as a way to like get into my body, and okay. it has yeah. done like amazing things for like my mental capacity and my emotional. Uh, openness it's it's interesting to to see that relationship of like engaging with my body and like learning how to be in my body more um mm-hmm. and how that translates over to the other centers sure um and so i've been trying to live in like the enneagram instead of theorizing it which is you know it's not typical of me like i've always just been a very cerebral person in general um mm-hmm. And so getting into fitness and doing difficult things with my body, pushing myself to be able to handle discomfort in the physical realm has translated mm-hmm. to being able to uh, handle discomfort emotionally. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, dude, thank you so much for this. This is a, yeah. I really, I really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, me too. Thanks for having me on here. This is, this is great. Great to talk to you too. You got it. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. until next time. Thanks, Josh. <laughs>